Uh, yes, there we go. Thank you. Uh, God, what, you, what he's going to do uh, in about two weeks. And so I went my first time in 2008, and God literally wrecked my life in which I didn't even know that he was going to do something like that. I didn't even know some of those things were even possible. And so it is an investment. The thing is, it's going to be the best investment that you ever put in as a college student. So if you're interested, we have a kiosk outside. You can write your name down. Don't let finances be an issue, okay? I can't stress that enough. Don't let finances be an issue. So good morning, everybody. Come on. Liven it up. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Austin Fontenot, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Luminous Church. And a big part of what I get to do is I get to serve the college campus at UTSA. And so I get to do that with two of my good friends, Jaron and Aaron. Yeah, come on. So Jaron just uh, started this past semester full-time, going to full-time campus ministry. And Aaron's one of our student interns. And so it's so great to have them here and to help me alongside. Uh, I love that they're, they're wanting to actually invest where they got invested into. It's just huge. But before we get into all that about College Sunday and for you to rep your school and everything else, I just want to spend a couple moments just really just showing off my wife, okay? Is that cool? All right. Even if you don't think it's cool, I'm going to do it anyways, okay? So this is my beautiful wife, Victoria. You saw her on the stage. So men here, she's not single. She's taken. I got the receipt that says I paid for the ring, okay? <laughs> Come on. But one of the things is that many of y'all may, may not know this is that as as a young, um, not married, a single pastor, you know, we look forward to moments like this. That we can point to the picture and say, hey, this is my wife, this is my family. Some of it is because it's like, man, it's cool because I want to do that. And I've been waiting until for me to do this just now. But uh, not only that, that, it brings some type of credibility as a pastor when you put your family on stage. But even more so when you have kids. Like, even more so when you have kids, all right? <laughs> And so, like, man, I hope, I hope just that this gives me a little bit of credibility this morning because this is me and my family and my two dogs, and they're just beautiful, and my wife is beautiful, and the kids are beautiful. So, man, thank you so much. Um, and lastly, lastly, I want to just, um, just say thank you for my parents who drove all the way from Colleen. So they're here with us this morning. And so, Dad, Mom, I love you. Thank you so much. So now we can start with College Sunday, okay? So College Sunday. So this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. When I say a school or university, I'm going to need you to get hype and excited. I need you to rep your school, even if you're just solo. You're riding in solo. I need to be able to hear you, okay? So we're just going to start off with UIW. Come on. One, one person at UIW. I decided to change it up. Like, sorry, Chase, ain't no one here. Is this you this morning? Is this you of SMU? Hey. UTPB? Yeah. <laughs> what, this, this, this one person, Pastor Ben. What about Texas State? Okay. So we got some Bobcats in the house. <laughs> Even though they lost. That's true. That's true. You know, just for the record, Texas State has lost three times against UTSA. Yeah. So that being said, that being said, UT, 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 come on, so we know we got the birds in the house, we got the birds in the house, 
So today, I, I have the privilege of really just sharing my heart and really God's heart for campus ministry. You know, it's just this amazing thing. And so, um, I'm just so excited to share that with you. But one of the things we're going to be pulling out of Mark chapter 2, so go ahead and just flip there or go on your screen, and this, uh, we'll be there in just a moment. But one of the things that about Luminous is that we, are, we actually partner with a larger group of churches called Every Nation Campus or Every Nation Ministries. And so when Every Nation values, one of those things is actually campus ministry. So we do value campus ministry, but the other three things, well, three things total is that we value the campus, we value the community, and we value really just reaching the world. And so I love that because the thing is, is that like I was reached on the college campus. Because there was someone who invested in my life who was willing to take me out to coffee and, man, I didn't want to meet up with them. And they made a way for me to actually know Jesus. And so the thing that this actually, this vision of every nation actually coincides with the Great Commission, which says, go make disciples of all nations, right? And the thing is that the college campuses is where all different countries and ethnicities come together to get education. This is a perfect strategic place for us to reach the nation. This is another reason why you, the Illuminous is actually seven minutes away from the college campus because we want to be intentional about investing in our college students. You know, according to a study done by the Public Religion Research Institute, that almost half of students, young adults, from the ages of 18, 29, are not affiliated of any type of faith or religion. That's actually grown for the last 30 years. And this is actually the age group of students that we see every day on the college campus. The percentages are just keep rising and rising. So whether they grew up in church or maybe they never actually heard the name Jesus or been a part of a church at all, the heart of campus ministry is the same that everyone, every student will get to know the name of Jesus and experience him and experience the freedom and love that he has to offer. So if you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is called Fundamentals of Faith. So we're going to, let's read Mark chapter 2. Let's just dive in. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there were no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they cannot get, in, get near, near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his heart and their spirit, that thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything quite like this. 
in regards to, to this passage here this morning, I want to pull out these three essential points. How faith positions us in community. How faith positions us as sons and daughters. And lastly, how faith positions us to receive hope. Let us pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word that is eternal. We honor you with our praises and receive what you have for us. And everyone in the church said, amen. So point one, faith positions us in community. Let's look back at verse four, one through four. It says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many gathered together that there were no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let the man down in which the paralytic lay. So this is the scene. This is the scenario that's going on. Jesus is in town. Before that, he was actually preaching in Galilee. So he comes to Capernaum. He's resting at a home in the Pretty much the uh, word got around that this man, Jesus, is here, and he's done signs, wonders, and miracles, and he's been teaching people all these things. So people are just rushing over to this home saying, hey, I want to know if this person of Jesus, this guy named Jesus, can actually do the things that people are saying that he can do. So it's so packed that people can't even see the door of the house. People are in the house. People are outside of the house. People are just trying to get to the house. Kind of like Best Buy or Black Friday, <laughs> right? Or Target or JCPenney. But this, this get the, the image that this house is so packed. There's no even room for people to stand. And late to this meeting are these four men and this paralytic. So it's five of them total. They're late, and some of y'all are probably late this morning, and it's okay. But the thing is, it's like, man, um, they're late to this meeting. And they just want to know what's going on. They want to see Jesus do a miracle in their friend's life. They said they had this such great of an idea, such great faith. They said, man, I know Jesus can heal my friend, so we have to get him there. And this is what happens. And this is what's going on in this story. So they approach the house. They approach the house, and they're just overwhelmed with all the people that are present. And they're like, they, they can't get in, and they're worried. They want to get their friends with them, thinking like, man, what if we can't get them to Jesus? What if it's impossible? What are we going to do? Like, we wasted all this time coming here, and they're like, man, like, I don't know if we're going to be able to see him. I don't know if he's ever going to recognize us, or I don't know any of these things. But one thing, we have to find a way. And what happens here at this moment is that they said that one of them, they say he goes and they look, and he's looking around. He's looking around, and finally he sees, he says he sees a staircase on the side of the house. He sees the staircase, and they start, they get their friends. He say, hey, I have an idea. You know what I'm going to do? We're going we're to go upstairs to the roof, and they start carrying their friend upstairs. And you know, I don't know about you, but it is hard to carry things up some stairs. And so it's like it's uneven. So many things are happening. His friend, almost the paralytic, is probably almost about to fall off. And they finally get to the top of the roof. 
And the interesting thing is, is that in that time period, that it was, it was pretty common for people to go on the roof. The roof was actually used for, as a patio. So you could go on the roof, it was just normal. So now they're on the top of the roof. And I can just imagine the other four guys are thinking, like, all right, we're here on the roof, now what? Like, what are we going to do? We're on top of the roof, what are we going to do? And there's always that one friend in the bunch, right? There's always that one friend who has some crazy idea. He's like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to bust through the ceiling. <laughs> we're going to bust through the ceiling, and we're going to let our friend down, and he's going to be before Jesus. And everyone was like, uh, I, guess, I guess so. I guess, I mean, if, you know, we're just going to blame it on you. You know, we're just going to blame it on you. If they ask us, hey, who did it? It was, it was, gonna, it was him. It was him. He did it. So they go up the stairs, and they start lowering, lowering their friend before them. And they start clearing pieces of the roof, and they start breaking it, and they start just making these noises. And as Jesus is preaching the word downstairs, and everyone is just so silent because they want to hear what he's teaching. They just see the roof opening up. They see sunlight just coming in and debris falling on them. And they start hearing these guys yelling, no, no, move that one. No, tear this one. No, tie them up here. No, don't do that. Do this. And I'm just thinking about this. I'm sure Jesus never actually had a sermon interrupted quite like this. You know, that someone's breaking into the roof. But isn't it a blessing, the friends that this paralyzed man had, this paralytic had? Isn't it a blessing to see that what they wanted their friend to experience in hope? That they said that I'm going to do, we're going to do whatever it takes to get our friends, our friend to Jesus. Even if it means breaking through the roof. Even if it means costing us something, we're going to make a way. And I really believe that God designed us to be in community. He believed us to be in community so we can encourage one another, so we can carry one another's burdens, so we can actually intercede for one another, so we can actually experience breakthrough. Because sometimes your breakthrough is through someone else's miracle. Sometimes your breakthrough is through someone else's miracle that God wants to use someone else to do something in your life. Do you have friends like that in your life? Do you have friends when things are not going the way you wanted, when you are believing for something and then things don't quite end up that way, that your friends can say, hey, 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 I got you. I'm going to carry you. We're going to bring you to Jesus. More importantly, are you that friend? Are you that friend pulling other people to the feet of Jesus? See, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 reads this. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's something special about community. There's something amazing about community. The truth is that at some point in your life, someone did that 
for you. Someone started encouraging you just a little bit. Someone started sharing the word of God just a little bit. Someone started praying for you even before you knew they were praying for you. And that's why you're sitting here today. It's because someone loved you, someone invited you, someone invested the time in you. Maybe it was a, a parent that brought you to Jesus and took you to church and you didn't want to go to church. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a, a peer, a student of yours. Wherever they were, they took the time to, in which for you to see who Jesus is. So again, in your life, who are you climbing up houses for and breaking through ceilings for in order for them to see who Jesus really is? This is why we do groups on campus, at churches. It's not just because we want to hang out, just for another reason for us to hang out, but we really think that God is going to do breakthrough in our community. And this is Jairus' story. Jairus is one of our students at UTSA. How God interrupted her life on the college campus and brought her into community and really just shared, hey, daughter, uh, this is who you're called to be. This is who you are. Check out this video. Love was meaningless to me. The whole concept of love was vague and foreign. I was terrified of it. I didn't want anything to do with it, yet I craved it like an unquenchable thirst. Deep down inside the back of my mind, I knew love was something I needed. Love was something I was missing. I couldn't remember the last time I ever truly felt loved by anyone, not even my own parents. See, love terrified me. The very thought of it gave me chills, bad ones. Saying I love you to anyone and meaning it was nearly impossible for me. See, it's funny, the word impossible was the only consistent thing in my life. Receiving love and showing love was impossible. Love was an impossible fantasy, a distraction really. But then there was the one, the one whose name is the very definition of love, the one who called out to me the day I was born, the one who loved me enough to carry me, the one who left the 99, Jesus, Son of God, the man who will move mountains just to get to me, Jesus, the one who tells the word impossible I'm possible. Son of the living God, the God who made a way for me to receive love and give love when I thought there was no way. God, my Heavenly Father, He who called my name, Jaira, created to love. Jaira, created by love, with love, from love. To my surprise, look at God opening my eyes. Love, my Heavenly Father, is something I do not deserve from you, but you have freely given it to me floodgates of love overflowing in me. Love, what was once foreign is now my native tongue. Love, what was once meaningless gave me life. Love, what was once impossible for me to say, I now shout to the heavens and to my heavenly Father. And Jesus, the Son of the living God, the one who thinks I'm to die for, the one who stood knocking at the door to my heart, all because I was the one he couldn't leave behind.
is why we do campus ministry. There are hundreds and thousands of gyrus all across the world who really just need to know what God the Father thinks of them. They really need just to be brought into community. Which leads me to my second point. Faith positions us as sons and daughters. Let's look into Mark, verse 5, chapter 2. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. 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 And you can just imagine in this moment as he's being lowered down and he's in front of them, his friends are listening from above. He's like, no, 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 you don't, no, 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 he's paralyzed. He's paralyzed, he can't walk. We need to bring him to you so he can actually forgive his sins because, you know, we came here for the miracle. We heard that you do signs, wonders, not pardoning of sins. You just don't get it. You're missing it. See, his friends were more concerned about his symptoms than his actual condition. See, his symptom, yes, was that he was paralyzed. But his condition was his sin. And because of his sin, he could not be called a son. See, our condition, our sin, many times is the result of our unawareness or forgetting our position as sons and daughters. And in this passage, this man is unaware of who Jesus says he is. And Jesus begins to let him know. See, when you forget or you're unaware of your position as sons or daughters of the Most High God, then you forget your authority that you have. You become motivated by fear and anxiety and doubt begins to fester. Hebrews 12.5 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Have you forgotten? See, difficulty in our Christian walk can be traced back to these three little words. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the basics? See, a lot of times we're able to remember in our minds, but we haven't yet received it in our hearts. Have you forgotten that God is in control? Have you forgotten that he's loved you, that he loves you? And lastly, and most importantly, have you forgotten that you are a son and daughter? Pastor Ben said something so great a couple weeks ago. He said that we were created to never have enough. So whether you've never met your dad or maybe you had a great dad growing up, our fathers can only give us so much. There's nothing like the sonship that God gives you. Only he can transform us from the inside out. 
Looking back in Mark, during this time period, culturally, if there's some type of sickness or disease that you had, then they, they thought it was because of some sin that your family member or you committed. And because of this, this paralytic is used to being an outcast. He's used to having his head down low because no one would want to look at him eye to eye. He's used to being ignored and overlooked and even looked down upon. But this, in this very moment, as he's being brought down in front of Jesus and he's scanning the room as his head is in the position that normally it is, which is this down, he's having eye contact with everyone in the room. And finally, at some point, his eyes connects with Jesus. With the piercing, loving eyes of Jesus. And in this brief moment, he never felt more loved, no, never felt more belonged and affirmed and in, as a son. And this is why Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because when your eyes connect with Jesus, you clearly see who's God who's called you to be. But when your eyes are not fixed on him and they're fixed on everything else, they're being just, just really distracting you from your true identity as son or daughter. Then you begin to label yourself with things that God didn't really want to label you with. Things like, I'm depressed. I suffer from depression. Or I'm just overwhelmed and I'm just, I'm just, I just suffer from from anxiety, or I'm not worthy of forgiveness, or no one would truly love me. Or like in this story, I'm a paralytic. And Jesus, his response will always be, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And as I was preparing for this sermon the last several weeks, I remember this was praying and God spoke to me. He said, Austin, that this message, that this sermon is not for them. This, this sermon is for you. That you have forgotten your position as a son. And because you have forgotten your position as a son, then you're operating out of your own strength. That you're being motivated by fear and not by love. And even today, operating outside of some shit, sometimes it's still a struggle that I wrestle with. And that's something even before I met Jesus. See, I can recall having this identity crisis, trying to figure out who I was, looking to all the wrong things, looking to sex and drugs and alcohol and everything else you can possibly name. I was looking to try to find fulfillment in these things. But yet nothing came close to when Jesus looked at me and said, Son, your sins are forgiven and that you are a son. And because you are a son, then there's more that I have for you. There is more. And I remember in this very moment when he encountered me in my apartment in 2007. That he said that, hey, I'm going to replace 
your heart of stone, this thing that is numb and overwhelmed and is stressed, that is tired, that I'm going to replace this very thing and give you a heart of flesh. And that you would do the things that I've commanded to you, for you to do. Because in that very moment, I was isolated, I was alone, I was scared, overwhelmed, stressed. And when I really needed, I needed, I needed hope. I needed hope in my life. I needed God to position me in a place so faith can arise. Which brings me to my last point. And my final point is that faith positions us to receive hope. Let's look at Mark 2, verse 9 through 12. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth. To forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. See, they were all amazed. And they begin to glorify God out of their amazement. See, it's because through our amazement, when we see the miracles that Jesus is able to do, that we are in a place to, pos- a place to really just to be positioned to receive hope. Because of those who saw what Jesus did to the paralytic, it gave hope to everyone in the room. That what Jesus did in his affliction, that he can also do that for me in my circumstances. See, what we consider hope to be today versus what the Bible actually says hope is, it's really two completely different things. See, a lot of times when we refer to hope, we're talking about this wishful thinking or this strong desire. See, a lot of y'all would, would say, like, you know, you know, someone asks you, hey, are you, are you going to get that raise or promotion? And your response will be, well, I, I, I hope so. Or did you pass that, that, that test, on, that exam on Friday? Uh, I, I hope so. See, your response is just another way of saying, I'm not confident in what happened. (laughs) But I sure wanted to. Like, I really do want it to, but I don't think it's really going to happen. While this is a a valid use of the word hope, the Bible does not use it in that way. See, in fact, it's the complete opposite of that. See, the Bible says that hope is a firm assurance about things that are unseen and still in the future. It's the very climate that faith works in. It's the dream, the desire, or goal that we expect to receive. The Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not yet seen. There's this confident expectation of good things to come. The hope starts the process of faith by painting a vivid image of what could be. And then faith goes to work. See, hope is, is, is essential in our walk, but it's not faith. See, one of the most important distinctions between hope and faith is that hope always looks towards the future. As we look back in the book of Mark, in verse 11, 11 through 12, Jesus said, Arise, pick up your bed, and walk. Immediately he rose and went out before them. And this, at this very moment, this is where hope became faith. So when you look at this man's life, this paralytic, after his encounter with Jesus, we see that he was brought in, positioned into community. That he was, he became a son. And also, lastly, that he was able to receive hope. See, now his faith is on display. Now he can point to the very thing that showed hopelessness, the very bed that he had. He's able to bring it up and say, hey, the very thing that brought me shame brings me excitement because I remember what Jesus did in my life. I've seen his power. I've seen the hope. And now he's positioned in a place in where hope lives, faith lives. And in that same way for us, this is why we move from a place of hopelessness to a place of faith. It's when we begin testifying about what Jesus has done in our life for people around us. We start sharing, like, hey, this guy, this is what he did in my life. And because of what he did, I have life, and I have sonship, and I have faith, and I have hope, and I can see in the future that no matter what happens, God is still in control. But truly for us to actually have this hope, that means that Jesus had to become hopeless. That he had to become hopeless when he was taken to be crucified. When he yelled, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he lost community amongst the people he was around. In that moment, he lost sonship because he was separated from the Father. And because of all of that, he lost hope. He lost all three of those things. And because of his death, because of his resurrection, we are now in a position to receive faith. Because faith is what positions us to be in community. Faith is what positions us 
be called sons and daughters. Faith is what positions us to receive hope. And I don't know what you came in to Luminous with, what burdens or stress or anxiety or things that are consuming your life that's overwhelming. But one thing I do know, that this, this Jesus that we're talking about this morning, he's the one that can give you faith. He's the one who brings breakthrough. He's the one who changes your name from, you know, an orphan to now son and daughter, that he's the one who can do it. In this moment, we're just going to stand. We're going to sing a song, and I want you to declare this song over your life. I don't know about you that I can always have an increase of faith. I can always have just a little bit more Jesus. And if you just close your eyes, I just want to pray for us. We're going to have the worship team sing this song. Father, we thank you for the work that your son did on the cross. We thank you because you are the one and living God, that we are positioned to receive these things, that you call us out of darkness into light to have eternal relationship with you. And we're just asking this morning, we're declaring this morning that when we leave out of this place, that we will have more faith. We will have more faith. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.